Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietti. You know, they say there's no justice in the world, but maybe there's a little bit of justice. Now, last week we were talking in the wake of our too close encounter with that guy, Bill Nell. Yeah, I was suggesting, you were suggesting that our listeners write to Lycos, the tripod division, where they get all those free websites and suggest that his sites where he sells dogs, or at least he sells the dogs, he doesn't deliver the dogs, and he sells his other junk, they should take that down for terms of service violations. There has to be justice in this world because as we do this show, and things could change, as we do this show, if you try members.tripod.com slash Bill Nell or any of his other pages linked on Google, you get sayonara, sayonara. The page you are attempting to access has been removed because it violated... Tripod's term of service. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Some justice, finally. Thank you, listeners, for writing the tripod. Or maybe we have a listener to the show over there. It could be. Any way that it worked out, it's great that this guy has been, for the moment at least, nipped in the bud. Mm. As it should be. As it should be. I mean, come on. Guy's a shyster. So it's been very, very uh, reassuring to see the kind of feedback we've gotten about the episode, Gene, because apparently a lot of people were really happy that we did this. They were. And that made me feel really good that people got it, you know? Thank goodness. And what's so interesting is the fact that, and we have to say this, there are people who do paranormal radio shows, really nice people, hardworking people, and David and I have been on some of those shows. They've never done this before. Nobody has ever done this before in the paranormal field. The only time we ever saw exposés, by the way, is back in the early days when Jim Mosley had a serious saucer news publication. Then he would expose people. He had a special George Adamski exposé issue. Hmm. He really did this kind of thing then. And he'd have his crew of writers. They go in there and they look at people who had phony doctorates and stuff like that. It's not done anymore. It's not Why? politically it's correct. Not, what's not politically correct? Listen, after eight years of what we've just been through in this country, I say it's time to redefine the term politically correct. What's good for us, the people, is what's politically correct. That's the deal now. Exactly. Now, when you think about this other shyster, this guy Madoff, who made off with $50 billion, for 30 yeah. years he's running a Ponzi scheme. You know how that works, ladies and gentlemen, where you receive money, And you use that money to pay out your investors and then get more money. And it keeps building up and up and up until the thing collapses like a house of cards. Well, he got away with it for 30 years, possibly by bribing the right people. I don't know how you do that. Bill Nell has been getting away with his small-time chicanery for, what, 20, 30 years also. Good amount of time. And uh, why should he? The whole thing, you look at the the Madoff situation, and what's clear to me is that this guy had a lot of people working with him and for him. This guy was a really good liar, and uh, people trusted him and put their financial portfolios in his hands. He was giving some of these people sick returns, completely unrealistic returns, stuff that anybody who's got half a brain could look at and say, this is not sustainable. There's no way that this can be real. 
but because they were making money at it and because they were greedy, they simply chose to live in a state of denial. And now all of these people have lost much of their money. Some of them have lost their lives over this. There was the French fellow that took his own life. It turns out I had been reading after the fact that he had lost all his personal money. His family fortune was, was largely gone. He had lost something like a billion dollars for his investors. So he uh, he slid his wrists, and it was very nice. He put a bucket down so the blood wouldn't go everywhere in his office. Well, that was certainly decent of him. Certainly he might have been a clean nut. But you also have to think about the effect to people who don't have a billion dollars to spare, people who invested their life savings, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe some kind of IRA or something, a pension plan, and uh-huh. now they will get nothing. Their life savings, and maybe these people are too old to go back to work, and things are bad enough now. There's no way they can even get a job except maybe as a greeter at Walmart or something. So suddenly their life savings are gone. Suddenly they have to hope to live on their Social Security, and we have no guarantee that that's going to happen. You know, when I'm old enough for Social Security, that's going to come a little sooner than when David is. I don't think it's going to be there. Most likely it won't. I, I kind of wonder about all of these pension funds and things like the educational system where people, uh, you know, or the police departments, fire departments around the country, where, you know, you have these, and this is something we see all the time, Gene, we see people who will retire from one job on a huge pension, then they go get another job. And now this other job, they're, they're collecting a full pension, now they're working another job, then they retire from the second job, and they're getting a full pension. You know, I know in theory... This idea of of a pension is a good thing. I don't want to dispute it. Just because you and I won't be getting squat for pensions from anything. Of course not. No. Well, I'll be getting a little Social Security, but I hesitate to even... That's not a pension. I'm talking about pensions, not Social Security. I know that. But that's the only funding I'll be getting. And the thing about pensions, my father, my late father, had a pension. He worked for the city of New York for 40 or 50 years. And he came out with it, and that supposedly is reflects a portion of your income that was set aside for retirement, a rainy day or something like that. It's not somebody else's money. In theory, it is your money, the money you've earned, that's being put in some sort of savings account for you. It doesn't always work but, out that way. Uh, yeah, talk to all of the former employees of the big three auto companies. And talk to them about their pension security. They have none. The bottom line is that this idea that someone's going to take care of you forever, you know, until you die, uh, I think it's just unrealistic. It would be nice if it were true, but it doesn't seem like our society is geared towards that type of behavior, sadly. And, you know, we, we know that when it comes time for you or I to collect Social Security, Chances are there's, there's not going to be much left. In fact, look at the kinds of deficits we're running now. And I think it's a, probably a safe bet that there won't be anything left. We're so leveraged out. And I know people don't want us to talk about this topic. It's the Paracast, not my Angry Human show. But this is going to affect all of us, Gene, in the coming years. And there's no escaping this. There's no hiding from this. As I said, I'm much closer to Social Security than you are. And, in fact... Very close, I don't want to say. Legally, I could get it now. Let's put it that way, okay? Legally, I could take it now, but I want to wait, you know, another 10 years or so. Hopefully, it will be larger. But as you say, there's no guarantee for this. This is not a lockbox. Remember when Al Gore was talking about the lockbox? Mm-hmm. Sure. There is no fund 
I don't think there is a fund. There is no fund, separate fund for Medicare. There is no separate fund for Social Security. They are doing a Ponzi scheme. They're taking it out of current revenues, hoping that people won't awaken one day and say, it's not here. It's not happening. I mean, you got to look at this current bailout that they're doing with the banks. And the bailout, they give $350 billion to the banks. They haven't spent all the money. And they ask the banks, okay, what do you use the money for? We can't. We're not going to tell you. No, they just said, we're not going to tell you. Right. The banks right, came around and said, oh, we're, we're not going to say. Well, you know, so does that mean you don't know? We're not going to say whether we know or not. We're just not going to say. We're not going to tell you. Go away. And this is my money. This is your money. What? And now they're ready to get their second $350 billion. And I say, no way. How can we let this happen? This is a, a blatant grab at what's left of the treasury of this country. It's just a blatant grab for it because I'll tell you what, Gene, these guys know what's going on. They know what's happening. They know they know what's coming down the pike. And that's the other side of this. This whole thing about taking money out of current stuff to pay for things like Social Security, they know it's all going to collapse. Uh, the Bush family will be in Paraguay. All of these financiers will be in Switzerland. They'll all be out of the country. They, they Listen, the money knows what's happening, and they're covering their own asses. And you, me, and the rest of us, the little people, well, it'll be our problem when it goes down. They won't care. They'll... These people, the politicians, will be out of power. They'll be on to their, their retirements, and they do fine. You know, members of Congress, they have great health care benefits. They have full dental. That's, that's a term that's unknown outside of that world. Full dental. And understand, yeah. individuals cannot get full dental at any price. It's not there. Oh. The only thing you can get is maybe a dental discount plan where, in theory, you'll pay, you know, 50%. And this is done in contract with certain dentists, usually the ones who have a very low business, or double their prices so you pay half as much and you pay them what they were going to get anyway. I don't know how it works, but whatever it is, that's the best you can get. And, of course, we have the incoming president who might be president officially when you folks listen to the show a few weeks after it's actually streamed. He's saying we will be entitled to the same benefits in terms of health care as Congress. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't buy it at all. There's no way. How are they going to fund it? That's the first thing that's going to have to get cut. You can't take blood from a stone. It's just that simple. This extends right back into our little realm, the paranormal stuff. You can't get something for nothing. If you want to have any kind of understanding of what's going on, you can't get it for nothing. You have to spend time thinking. You have to spend time reasoning. And there are people who don't want that. There are people who just want to sit and listen to a shyster like Bill Nell just rattle off crap. Paragraph after paragraph, hour after hour of garbage. And they don't want to think. They want this guy to tell them, ooh, here's the mystery. Ooh, here's the bing, bong, boom. Don't think for yourself. I'll tell you what the answers are. No, man, you don't know what the answers are. No one knows what the answers are. That's the whole point. This takes some effort. The Reader's Digest version. Right. Exactly. You look at the history of all the shows that Bill Nell has been on. He's been on a number of shows, a number of radio shows. And he has this pre-rehearsed spiel. Uh-huh. Not a single one of those shows has ever stopped to say, 
hey, is this guy for real? Let's vet yeah. him. Let's check his credentials. No. Anything. 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 Listen, we typed his... <laughs> Listen, what did we do? We typed his name into Google. That's all. I mean, no big deal. That's not any significant amount of research. My God, that is effortless. And what came up at the top? A lot of the fraud stuff. Boom, right there. So at that point, if you have a radio show and you've got a producer and you've got people who book guests and you're making money off of it, you would assume at that point somebody, anybody, would just plug the guy's name into Google. That is not some huge amount of technical effort. My God, you just copy his name off, paste it in, and hit the return key. People are not willing to do that. So here's the thing, Gene. If people are not willing to put that amount of effort into these topics, then essentially they're going to get nothing back. If you're not going to try to find some answers, if you're not going to try to do some due diligence, then you expect to actually gain understanding. And this gene is its so representative of where we're at as a society. People just want what they want when they want it. And this was the thing, I think I mentioned this on the show when I was watching uh, Steve Bassett speak at uh, Jeremy Vaney's Culture Contact right, event. Right, right. Um, and he was going, you know, I want to know. I want to know. I want I want the government to tell me because I want to know. And what does that mean? You want to know. So that means the government's going to open the kimono up and tell you what you want because you want it? Really? Do people think that that's how the world actually works? It doesn't, you know. It doesn't work that way. You don't just get what you want because you want it. That's a child talking. Children say that. I want this. So they, and they start to cry. And then parents basically acquiesce because they don't want to hear their kids cry. So they give their kids what the kids are crying about. At least that's how it seems to work in, in much of the world. My parents weren't like that. I would scream and cry and they'd be like, that's nice. What a nice little boy. There's Look, again, this goes beyond the, the scope of the show, but certainly I think it's fair to say that we understand. We fully understand that people are curious about paranormal topics. We fully understand that they would love to have some answers. The problem is that the answers are extremely elusive. And, and in many ways, it seems like there are a lot of people that think that Maybe the answers are right in front of us. Uh, there are a lot of people who think that maybe uh, we already have the answers and we just don't recognize this yet. I wonder if we are actually even asking the right questions. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it really comes down to that. And one of the things that certainly I think we're trying to do with this show is to even formulate an attitude about how we should ask the questions. How do we wrap these questions? How do we position them so that the answers make any sense? It, it reminds me of Doug Adams' wonderful Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Where th this, this race of incredible, uh, wonderful, intelligent, hyperdimensional beings creates the, the incredible computer deep thought. They, I would think that was the name of the machine. They, they wanted to give them the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Right? And, they, and the, the thing is thinking for like millions of years, and, and it's the infamous 42. It just spits out the number 42, and these people are like, what? What, what is this? Well, you, 
you, you didn't program me to give you the question. It's like, what do you mean? What do you, what do you what, give us the question? Why? There's the answer. The answer is 42. What's the question? I'm not programmed for that. <laughs> it sounds like an old Steve Allen routine on TV. This is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO magazine. magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time when we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We're talking about the past, the future, and whatever. You know, talking about asking the right questions. Just before we did the show, just for the heck of it, I did a little research online. See, I can do that. You know, I'm not too old to do that. You know, sure. And you're, you're computer savvy. You better know how to do that. I better. At this age, you know, I may lose these abilities at any time. My fingers might fall off. My brain might turn to sawdust. No, it's already turned to sawdust. If we're there. Yeah. I remember reading a book called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, which you can actually find at Amazon Books. Major Donald Kehoe wrote it in 1955. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking about we're in 2009 now. 54 years ago. Major Donald Kehoe said, number one, UFOs come from outer space. Number two, there is a silence group within the U.S. government that is keeping all of the information about the reality of UFOs a secret. Number three, there ought to be congressional hearings to force them to reveal what they know. Now segue 54 years into the future. Take a look at the disclosure movement. Tell me what has changed. Nothing. Not really. But, you know, as you were saying that, not to change the subject. That's okay. I had there is flash- no subject. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just chatting. You know, people often e- email us and say, you know, we miss it when you guys would just talk to each other. So we're just going to talk today. We're just going to have a talk. There was something that went through my mind. I'm just going to throw this out. Okay. I, and I don't know what it means, but you know how we always hear these reports about the beings, the beings, the greys, where you have these... Short grays and these taller grays, right? I mean, we, we've heard these reports where you have these shorter beings and then you have these taller ones. The tall ones kind of look like the shorter ones. I was thinking last night, I was reading this book uh, by a guest that we're going to have on soon, who's this Mars expert. And uh, the book, by the way, uh, is a lot of fun. It's not in front of me right now. It's in, it's in my bedroom. I was reading it uh, last night. And it's kind of fascinating because this book is is written in a way that is supposed to be written in the future, and it's the first time Mars tourist guide, or for someone who wants to go move to Mars in the future, this is what you need to know. And there's all this stuff about food and waste disposal of you know the waste from the the, the digested food, 
and the huge challenges this presents in an environment like Mars. So you've got these small gray beings, taller gray beings. Okay. You have this idea that we keep reading over and over that the um, certainly the small gray beings, they have these really thin little mouths. There has always been this undercurrent of the notion that these beings do not have digestive systems. And I thought to my, I don't know why this went through my head just now. I thought, you know what it sounds like to me? Because my brain is like processing this stuff all the time as a background task, Gene. I kind of got this flash. You that, have a multi-core processor. Is that what it is? Uh, and and I, I think we all do. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> we even try to use it. That's uh, yeah. changed. Oh, yeah. Well, but this stuff is always like cooking in the back of my mind. And so one of the big problems, of course, for, for long-distance space travel is uh, is food, growing food, keeping food fresh, keeping food edible. But if you were engineering a species for deep space travel, certainly one of the things that you'd want to do is try to minimize the amount of food it would have to intake and expel. Maybe the small beings are biological containers for the large beings. Maybe that's why the beings look alike, but the smaller ones, more compact, take up less room. I've never heard a discussion, maybe this is something we should pursue this year, talking to people about whether there has ever been a sense that the larger beings have a larger mouth or perhaps something that would indicate that maybe there was a digestive system in them. As where, where again with the small and again I, I know this is completely left field, but every now and then I get these little thoughts about this stuff. I almost never write them down, and sometimes I forget about them. Well, it's not and just gross though. It's something that really you have to think about. Well, just being genetically engineered to consume less food and to therefore expel less waste product because that's a well, serious maybe, issue. Yeah. Oh yeah, but maybe not even any food at all, but maybe absorbing energy in a different fashion that bypass what we would normally consider to be a digestive system. You know, because, I mean, what ultimately the, the whole process of eating is to create electrochemical fire in us, essentially. I mean, it's how we, we power ourselves. Um, you know, the, we, we, we need many of the components that are in food. Certainly sugar is critical. Uh, sodium is critical. And I'm not a nutritionist by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but, you know, we need protein for uh, muscle tone. We need carbohydrates, we need sugar, we need sodium. I mean, we need these things in order to, to survive. But we are not engineered to travel in space. We're engineered to travel on our spaceship called the planet Earth. And we seem very well adjusted to this, except, of course, the fact that our bodies are uh, are prone to all sorts of uh, cellular breakdown, they're certainly prone to all sorts of mutation, a.k.a. cancer. You know, it's funny when you hear the people who are fans of the idea of intelligent design talking about the human body. In many ways, I think you could make the argument that the body almost feels like a kind of a hodgepodge, maybe too many fingers in the pie, as it were. Designed by committee like Microsoft? Maybe. You mean Microsoft's progenitors design the human race? I don't know. I don't think we're as efficiently built as a shark. No. I don't think so. Um, and maybe that's the price that we pay for intelligence. I don't know. It just, the, these things, I, I mean, and that's the other thing that 
I think we need to mention there was one piece of email that we got from somebody who heard the Bill Nell episode and kind of accused us almost of being too academic in our approach and uh, uh, accused us of putting on these, uh, what was it, uh, something about you know the, the robes or something, uh, kind of making us out to be, I don't know, overeducated. I just want to say for the record, I'm a college dropout. I do not have a degree. I have taught at a number of colleges, and I'm currently a faculty member at Yale University, but I didn't graduate from college. And truth be told, when I was in college, uh, my grades were not really good. I Things that I really liked, I did well in. Things that I didn't like, I didn't pay any attention to. I mean, sometimes I barely even went to class for certain classes that I felt just were not what I wanted to be doing, even though they were uh, prerequisites. They were required courses for my elective at the time. But I, I didn't do well as a student in the college environment um, because I was already sort of wrapped up in the things that I was interested in and had certain issues with discipline in the in the academic world. That um, sounds familiar. Well, I mean, it's just the truth. I mean, that's just the, my reality. I didn't I didn't do real well in school. I went to three years of college and dropped out because at that point, by my third year of college, I had an executive position at the Ziff Davis Publishing Company. So at One Park Avenue, at their world headquarters. So, you know, and I had my own office. I had a secretary. I had the works. And so at that point, it didn't really make sense to stay in school. I was, I think, making more money than most of my professors were. And I, I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and have my career. Who needs the school part? And part of me regrets that now. I wish I had that degree. It would make teaching a lot easier. And uh, my lovely girlfriend has been putting pressure on me to go back to school and get a degree. And I, I think I'm going to have to acquiesce. I don't know how I'm going to make it work financially, but you know, she seems to feel that this is something I really should do. Uh, but the point of all this is that you and I are not biologists, we're not physicists, we're not psychologists, but very often we're taken to task by people for not being those things. And I think it's kind of interesting that people think that highly of us. Some people think that highly of us. Other people obviously do not. But uh, in a way, I, I find it very uh, flattering, and I, I, I think that you might as well, but we're just two guys who are interested in this topic. I mean, and in my case, I'm an experiencer who is looking for some answers. We're not really experts in any of this stuff, and I've certainly never thought of myself as a, a, an expert interrogator. There was a, one piece of email that we had gotten from the, the Bill Nell episode, a piece of a feedback was from one of our listeners who says that they're a trained FBI interrogator and that they're very knowledgeable about the topic of taking a witness and questioning them. Now I remember it. It's something that I do remember reading, yes. All right. So, you know, people think that what we're trained in this technique, that and, and, and I guess on the Erie Radio thread about the Bill Nell show called the ambush technique, you know, that we, we brought this guy on and we're to ambush him. And uh, I don't know that I thought of what we were doing as that. All that we did was let this guy hang himself for, you know, half an hour or whatever it was. And then just simply come in uh, and ask questions, ask real questions. Do we live in an environment where the idea of investigating someone before you have them on the show and then asking them specific questions relating to fallacies in their claims, is that considered an ambush? Really, is that where we're at as a society? 
Well, you know, it's interesting, too, that you and I had a very, very brief discussion before the interview started. Hey, neighbors, the easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380. 800-715-4380. Or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com. 1-800-715-4380. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're doing a 2008-2009 wrap-up and expectations for the future on this week's episode. And I think you and I talked for maybe a minute. And the plan was simply to... First, get him to talk about his stuff, ask him questions where we had concerns, let him dictate our responses by what he says. So, of course, he's talking about being participant in a movie, that he was an advisor for movies. Of course, we can't find it on the Internet Movie Database. We ask him about the publications he's appeared in. Of course, there's no record of that either. Uh So all we did was ask him to demonstrate what he said was true. He made the claims. We didn't make the claims. How is it ambushing somebody to say, okay, you're saying this is true, show us. Yeah. End of story. Why is that unacceptable? I'll I'll tell you why. Because we have become a nation of trained sheep. I really believe this. Look at the presidential debates, Gene, where people had to submit their questions ahead of time, had to have these questions combed through, and vetted. So any sense of spontaneity was gone. And also, I mean, yes, okay, they didn't give the candidates the questions ahead of time so the candidates could come up with canned answers. No, they didn't do that. How do we know that? How do we know they didn't do that? Maybe they did do that, and they're lying to us. I think if there's one thing that we have to now all agree upon in this country, I'm talking about the United States of America. I'm not saying that you and I are talking for any country around the world. But I think that it's high time that we now become extremely skeptical 
of things that we are told by our government and the media. Extremely skeptical. The media is no longer interested in delivering anything even vaguely resembling truth. Let's just all be clear about that. The mainstream media is designed to do one thing, to keep your eyes glued to the screen no matter what crap they have to peddle you. They just want to keep you from changing that channel. That's it. Any any notion that, uh, you know, for example, the news is going to tell you in any way what's real, that is just gone. And But I think what's happened is that people have become so conditioned away from spontaneity that any any display of spontaneity, any display of critical thinking just makes most people uncomfortable. And I have to say, Gene, I look at this and I think that that is an extremely dangerous situation. I, I really, truly do. And for a lot of reasons. I mean, you look at the way the campaign was waged. You look at the stuff that was coming out of the, the, the candidates' mouths. I'm talking about both candidates. You know, uh, I realized that, yes, John McCain was not a, a good choice as a president. The things that were coming out of his mouth, his choice of a vice presidential candidate, and I know, again, there are people thinking, uh-oh, they're talking about politics on the Paracast. Just get over it. All right, seriously, just get over it. We're talking about our relationship with the media, the media that brings you information about your reality, every aspect of re your reality. Look, the big financial meltdown that caught everybody by surprise. Ooh, oh, we didn't know that we were in recession since last December. That's a bunch of crap. Anybody who lives uh, in this country, anybody who works or goes to the grocery store, we all knew that we were in a recession. This was not any huge revelation to any of us, really, truly. And then the media may believe, oh, look, look, this is unbelievable. Look at this. Ooh, how did this happen? The media at this point cannot be trusted. They're owned by huge corporations. There is a very small indep independent media, and you have to seek them out. And then once you seek them out, now you've got to put your next round of BS filters in place. Because they have their agendas as well. And look, you and I on this show, we have an agenda. We do. I'll go for we that. Are, sure. We, we are hunting down the paranormal paparazzi, and we're shooting them like dogs. That's what we're doing. You know, uh, there, interestingly enough, in the current Esquire magazine, there are these fascinating capsule interviews with lots of people. And um, there's one in particular that caught my eye, the, the infamous singer Wayne Newton. Very infamous, uh, yes. Very infamous, and you know that's a whole other topic. But um, he talks a lot about Frank Sinatra, because I guess he was buddies with Frank Sinatra. And, and there's a quote in there from him that really, it, it struck home for me, okay? Where he says, it got to the point where Frank just lost his patience for BS. He says it was like right around 1984. He, he talks about some well-known singer coming up to Frank with his new album going, Hey, Frank! You know, would you listen to this album and tell me what you think? Frank says to him, I don't have to listen to it. It's not a good album. The guy's like, you know, huh? And Sinatra says something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have the magazine in front of me, but he says something along the lines of, you know, your, your heart and your mouth have to connect in order for you to be a good singer, and you don't have that. So 
I don't even have to listen to the record. It's not a good album. You didn't pull off a good one. And Wayne Newton says that he this was this happened around 1984. Now he really felt that at that point Frank Sinatra was just tired of the BS. And I have to tell you, Gene, that's how I personally feel about three years of being immersed in this topic in a public way. I am definitely tired of the BS, and I guess that comes through. I don't want to be friends with Paula Harris. I don't want to be friends with Rob Simone. I don't want to be friends with Bill Nell. I don't want to be friends with any of these people who are paranormal paparazzi. They are in no way contributing to any kind of constructive discussion about this stuff. And look, I am very happy to sit down with someone. Like, I sat down with Steve Bassett and had at least a two-hour conversation at Jeremy's thing where I said to him, look, we're not talking to audiences. We're not sitting here defending our agendas like two alpha males. Let's just have a conversation, okay? And we did. And I know I've, I've referred to that conversation more than a couple of times on the show. And maybe at some point we'll have Steve come back on here. And talk and try to recreate, reproduce, if it's even possible, an iteration of that conversation where he's not trying to just push agenda items. But no, we talk about this in a reasonable way. We have to do this. We have to do this in every area of our lives, Gene. We have to try to get some rational discussions. But there are, look, there are people with whom you will never have a rational discussion. Bill Nell is one of them. The guy's a compulsive liar. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a charlatan. So why do we have to be friendly to these people? Why do we have to treat them like they're legitimate? What the hell is that? Oh, you know, because you know you have to be nice. Uh, I want to share another story with our audience because when this whole thing went down with Bill Nell, I decided because I'm a nice guy from time to time. I decided to send Alexandra Holzer an email because she was the one I originally found out about Bill Nell and trying to track down Alexandra Holzer's contact information. It turns out she was listed in this thing he had his speakers bureau. She and another guy were listed on there in a way that it certainly sounded like Bill was repping them to audiences or to, to organizations that want to hire speakers on these topics. So after we did the show, after we aired it, I, I wrote Alexandra an email saying, you know, I know you don't want to hear from me, but I just want to give you a heads up about this because this is a guy who's, you know, looks like, very, well, it doesn't look like, I mean, we knew that he's guilty of federal felonies, not misdemeanors, felonies. I wrote to her going, you know, you might want to rethink your association with him as it sounds like he's repping you. Um, you might just want to rethink this. That's all. Have a happy new year. So she writes me back saying, and I'm paraphrasing, so I'm not going to rewrite from her emails, but she writes me back saying, oh, you know, I once did an interview with him. I can't go back and change time. So, you know, it's not a big deal. And then I wrote back. What? To her, uh, yeah. Exactly. It makes no sense. Well, I wrote back to her saying, uh, I don't know what interview you're talking about. I'm talking about the fact that you're listed on his website as one of his speakers. And I, I sent her the link, and I said, are, are you not aware of this? She writes back to me, 
oh, well, you know, he's done so much to promote me over the years. I really can't have any hard feelings towards him. All he's doing is promoting me. So what am I supposed to do? Ask him to stop promoting me? I thought, all right, that's it. Duh. You, ma'am, are an idiot. Okay? You're that not goes into right. the duh category. That's that. If there was any question about her intelligence, there's your answer. It's like, I'm telling this woman, look, here's I'm doing this because I'm a nice guy. I'm being a nice guy right now. I don't know. It's the end of the year. I'm trying to sort of, you know, balance out my karmic stuff. I, I Really, truly, Gene, I wrote to her out of goodness, out of love and light, like she would say, right? Yes, Same well, higher pitched, my friend. Let's go. Well, you know, you know yeah, go, cool. go up a few octaves. That will. Ah, love and light. Ah. That's perfect. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. David and I are doing kind of a wrap-up of the previous year, beginning of the next year, taking stock of what's going on, and there's a lot of things we don't like. So you write her the letter, sweetness and light, whatever. Forget about it. Forget about it. She doesn't want to know. Oh, he promotes us. So uh, he promotes me, and uh, my agent is my agent. He's not my agent. So I have an agent, but he promotes us. So who am I to tell him to take my stuff down? It's like, all right, you know what? I, I didn't write her back. I thought, you're an idiot. And I wasn't willing to say it like that up until this moment. But once I saw that response, I thought, you deserve all the bad things that happen to you. That's all. You deserve to be made fun of. You deserve to be called an idiot. Because at that point, I'm telling you, lady, this guy stealing people's puppy money. And I wrote that to her. She didn't even acknowledge that. It's like, well, she has kids. Doesn't she like dogs? I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, she has four kids. Gee, the planet Earth thanks her. You know, they allowed her to procreate. You have to look at this. By the way, speaking of being allowed to procreate, think about Sarah Palin's daughter, Bristol. Yeah, Trip. Trip. And, and you got to look at the names they've got here. They got Trip or <laughs> Tig or Tough or or Crazy or Wicked or yeah, Nuts yeah, yeah. or yeah, Hand yeah, yeah. Fist. They can't think of a name with more than one syllable. That's the key. Meanwhile, the father's mother. The lovely baby father's mother who was busted for dealing Oxycontin, who it now turns out it looks like the uh, state troopers knew about this while the whole Palin thing was going on, and they didn't move to arrest her in order not to make her daughter's baby father look bad and to make Sarah Palin look bad. Gee, that's a whole nother topic, but... That's not the Paracast. We don't talk about that on the Paracast. But, oh, yeah, talk about the ugliness of that. Man, forget about it. It's off the charts. So so the whole point of this is that, you know, again, coming back to the whole thing about, you know, I wrote to, to Alexandra. She blew me off. We now have to take this stance, and I think we have, Gene, where we've drawn this line in the sand, and we've said, you know what? Every now and then, we're going to take one of these people, and we are going to crucify them. Because this field needs it. What's the line from uh, Jack Nicholson is the, in the Joker from the first Batman movie? This town needs an enema. Right, yeah. right, right. I remember what you're talking about. Now, I'm thinking yeah, of the yeah, other yeah. one, you can't handle the truth. But no, no, I like to go town, for both. No, this town needs an enema. And we've got the tube, and we've got boiling hot water. Not just no warm water. We're going, we're, we're going for the full on out. Let's just blow this tunnel open. Because someone's got to do it, Gene. Someone's got to do it. And there was a mention on the eerie of forms that, oh, you know, they don't want to be in a, an ambush show. We're not an ambush show. And, and I actually resent even that implication. We're not an ambush show. But every now and then, we are going to take one of these charlatans and we're going to slice their heads off. That's what we're going to do. And you know what? We're the only people that seem willing to do this. And that is fine. And it's not like we're doing this every other show, because we're not. We're not. I mean, how many times have we done that in three years? 150 episodes or so? What have we done this? Maybe five or six times? And this is the first time someone hung up on us. I think when we talked to Paula Harris, we kind of terminated the conversation a few minutes early. But it was only yeah. a few minutes early. In yeah. this case, he couldn't take the heat. He couldn't handle the truth. And that was the death knell for Mr. Nell. I think we should do one, at least one a quarter. I don't think we've done enough of them. My concern, though, David, is that it's like cockroaches. You know, you kill five and ten come up in their place. So we get rid of one cockroach or two cockroaches, and then there are so many others to deal with. And just we can me? just be stamping them down over and over again. Just, I don't know. You know what? We, we teach people how to manufacture their own cans of Raid. That's all. It, there was another piece of email I got, Gene. I don't know if you got this as well, but it was from one of our listeners who had early on emailed me complaining about aspects of the show. And he and I had a bit of an email back and forth. Got a little little ugly. And I guess he listened to the Bill Nell episode. And he sent me an email going, oh, my God, that was the best episode you guys have ever done. I did not get what you guys were about up until this episode. Now I get it. I should go find this email, but I think you have a piece of email to read, don't you? Oh, we have a lot of I think, talented yeah. listeners here. 
Oh, now, yes. this guy, let me get my reading glasses out so I could read this properly here because I'm All very right. old, you see. I got my reading glasses. Now, I understand this particular guy, you're telling me he's a very talented musician. Yes. Uh, this is, and, and this is an interesting thing about the Paracast. We've gotten all sorts of email from interesting listeners. This guy, it turns out, is the guitar player and is a phenomenally good guitar player in a band over in the U.K., I don't know if we should say who it is yet or not. I don't know if he wants to necessarily be associated with this, but he's got this great band over in the UK. They've got albums out. Uh, it's not a kind of a thing you would expect to have come out of the UK. Really kind of an interesting twist on a UK-based band, but um, this guy is fabulous. He's a, a very active uh, forum member, excellent musician. He sent me his records, and they are just phenomenal. Really good. So uh, you should go ahead and read this again. He'll hear this episode. He'll hear us bring this up. And if he wants to identify himself as the person who wrote this, then that's fine. We'll let him do that. Okay. He starts, just downloaded and listened to the December 28th Bill Nail episode. I listened to Bill sidestep questions, talk over the host, redirect during his answers, claim that he did several things that are all completely unsubstantiated and generally just prate over and over. A few minutes before he hung up, I put my fist into my monitor, cracking it. I would appreciate it if the Paracast could find it in their heart this season to send me, oh, wait, I forgot. And it says, read next Paracast very fast and no pause between words. Oh, please don't do this to me, man. All right, let me try. Uh -uh. I received a monitor instead of money when I consulted Heath Ledger. God rest his soul. He was a good man, you know, and he liked eggs for breakfast. He told me one time when I was helping him prepare for the dark night. I don't know if you heard of that, but I consulted him on his demeanor as the Joker, you know. In other words, I told him how to act, you know. He was very appreciative, you know, and he wanted to pay me, but I refused and said that I would take his monitor. He said, yes, that would be fine, and I've had it ever since. It is in my closet, you know, under my stack of Oscar nominatory notifications and Guinness World Record awards for numerous unclassified and undocumented achievements and my first edition copies of the thousands of books that I've ghostwritten, you know. I know this sounds fantastic, you know, but it's true. And the only person that could substantiate this, unfortunately, is Mr. Ledger, you know. But I do have his monitor, and I would be glad to send you a picture of it, although it does not have his name on it, you know. So I don't need a monitor. Goodbye, you know. <laughs> Taking deep breath. <gasps> oh, all right. So I don't uh, know how I got through that. You did. You did fine. You did fine. That's good. You you could you could almost uh, you could almost pull that off, Gene. Almost. Thank you. Almost. You know, this is more than any normal compliment I get from David. I'm taking my reading glasses off. See? Reading glasses. Taking them off. I can see everything. Where are we again, sir? All right. Well, I'm going to read a piece of email now from this guy. Uh, but the last name, this is a guy whose last name, I guess, or maybe it's a pen name, I don't know, is uh, Oblivion. I don't know if he's related to Brian Oblivion from the classic movie Videodrome. There's a great sci-fi movie if, if you want to watch one. But he wrote in saying, uh, the email starts, I have to say that was one of the best damn shows you guys have ever done. Not because of the entertainment factor of the ambush, but I finally get what you guys are doing. Granted, my first email I ever sent to you perhaps forever sealed my fate as an asshole, but I was a new listener and compared it to the other love and life paranormal shows. I didn't get it. 
I had no idea anyone was approaching this topic by other way, by stripping the sugar off the cookie and seeing what else is baked in. I was a prisoner of my own naivete as far as I didn't really realize what trash there was out there as far as people are concerned in this field. I have to say, like I'm sure of a lot of your other listeners, I listen because if anyone is going to find the truth to all of this, it's going to be the intelligent, logical thinkers that are looking not the hacks that are living in this fantasy land full of lies, embellishments, and, quote, I can't remembers, unquote. It will be found by those who see through the BS, see through the lies, and see through the, quote, truth, unquote, that perhaps, quote, they, unquote, want us to see. And that's why I thought your latest show was so great. You had a plan, you went in and executed that plan and never pulled a punch, not once, and for that I thank you. Hopefully someday when the gunfire stops and dust settles, we'll see the truth for what it is and not the infected dinner buffet it seems to be right now. Good luck to the both of you. I hope you can find what we're all looking for, not just for you, but for all of us. So that was really nice. I mean, and this, again, was a guy who early on had sent me email that was essentially uh, very, very derogatory, very negative, kind of attacking me. And, and the show, attacking both of us in the show. And I basically had a, a, not a very long interaction with him, just saying, look, you know, if you don't like it, don't listen. And, you know, I know that sometimes people will write to us on the forums and they'll, they'll say things like, you know, oh, David gets all you know, angry about this stuff and doesn't seem to have a thick skin for this. And, you know, I just want to say to those people, I'm tired of the BS, I'm really tired of it. I, As I'm getting older, Gene, I find that I have less and less of energy to deal with this BS stuff in every aspect of our society. I'm finding that my patience factor is definitely going down. I was kind of hoping that as I got older, I'd become sort of mellower. And in some ways, I have. But when it comes to the state of our minds, the state of people's inquisitiveness... And um, what I see is a tendency for people to just roll over. I get very concerned. And my father was a guy who um, I remember <laughs> during some of the Reagan years, for example, my father would like scream at the TV set. He'd watch Reagan talk. And my, my father was someone who did not buy into any of the Reagan BS. He saw right through it. And um, he's a very intelligent man. And in, in the back of my mind, I, I always think about my father, and I think about how he would have handled guests and, and how he would have questioned them, and what kinds of things he would have asked. Not that I'm you know, trying to be my father, but uh, he was really my, my greatest hero, and he was an extremely thoughtful person. He's also a really, really funny guy, incredibly funny man, and uh, uh, very beloved by pretty much anybody he, who he came into contact with. And I can't say the same thing, Gene. You know, obviously, uh, I'm extremely opinionated. In that sense, I, I sort of take more after my mother. Um, or I'm very opinionated. I, I very often don't have uh, a, a very efficient filter over my mouth. I'll say things that come to mind. There were a few things I said during the Bill Nell uh, piece, especially when we were talking to Frank Warren. That maybe, you know, I should have toned down a little bit. But what I wanted to say before was that unlike so many of the people that cover this stuff, I'm someone who has 
real personal experiences. I'm I'm not looking to turn this stuff into entertainment. It's fine if you can be entertained while looking into this. That's great. And I'm not trying to say that that's uh, totally bad. I mean, I've had some interesting discussions with uh, Jeremy and Jeff about their little paratopia thing they're doing. I, I understand why they're doing it, but I, I wonder how that's going to work out ultimately. And I really hope what it doesn't do is, is certainly in the case of, of Jeff, I hope it doesn't detract from his credibility. I really hope it doesn't backfire on them. Because I, you know, I really like both those guys. I mean, you know, in the case of Jeff, he's become one of my closest friends. I love the guy. And I'm just, I'm just really, I'm a little concerned. I think it'll all be fine. I think... What uh, is it? Tell our listeners what Paratopia is all about. <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm the person who should be telling them what it's about. Basically, I think it speaks for itself. I think that Jeff and Jeremy feel a sense of frustration with people like, uh, with people like Greer. I think they feel a sense of frustration with the field in general. You know, they frequent the, uh, well, in the case of, you know, Jeff, certainly he has frequented for years the ATS discussion boards, the above top secret discussion boards that um, I was frequenting for a while and now I sort of don't. Uh, I've really backed away from it quite a bit because of the general level of discourse that goes on over there. As many of our forum members have pointed out, it, it does leave something to be desired. There, there are a lot of just either very wacky people, in some cases really crazy people, and very often just people who are not really well informed about uh, paranormal topics, for example, who, who get on there and just spout some just nonsensical stuff. I mean, and it goes on for for you know pages upon pages of thread postings. I actually find that that's a little less true with their political board. Um, it, the, the crazy factor is just a, a little lower over there. But for the most part, I mean, I look at the discussions that often happen on the Paracast forums. I mean, we have one forum member, this guy, Scheuler. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm doing his, his name right, S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. This is a guy who is... It could is, also be Skyler, I'm not sure. Be Skyler, yeah, I'm not sure how, how, how to pronounce his uh -huh. name, but uh -huh. this is a guy who is as smart... As the day is long, this is a guy who's really actually brilliant. And, and th the way I really figured that out was I had recommended on the forums uh, a movie, The Man from Earth, uh, a really great little science fiction movie that I ended up watching on Netflix. Liked so much, I went and bought the DVD, and I turned a number of my friends onto it. Well, he was really apparently uh, taken with it as, as well, and he wrote... A 20-some-odd page review that he uploaded to, uh, I think it's Scribbid, about the, the, the movie. He, he analyzes and takes apart all the characters. There's a whole um, little glossary section where he references all of these names and places brought up by the John Oldman character and describes who they are. I mean, it's like he wrote this thesis paper. Yeah, we should give him a degree for this, but before we give him a degree, we've got excitement, surprises, and something completely out of left field, completely different. When we get back with Hour 2 of the Powercast, and we'll talk more about Mr. Schuyler, Mr. Schuyler, whatever it is. He's Hour. great. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at com. That's news at com. 
And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. So in hour one of this year-end, year-beginning kind of episode, we were talking about Mr. Schuyler, Schuyler, or whatever his name is, one of the very intelligent people who frequents the Paracast community forums, and about his extensive <laughs> review of this movie, The Man from Earth. Now, understand, I saw this movie, I thought it was really, really well done, very thought-provoking, lots of interesting possibilities. I don't always catch these offbeat movies as much as you do. Mm-hmm. But this was a really a change of pace for me, and I was really glad that you recommended it, and I really enjoyed it, I have to say that. And it was just an accident. I mean, the, the way that I found it was it was right around, I think, when Netflix got their movie streaming service set up, and I was uh, going through it over on my Windows box, and it was like, I think, the top recommended movie. And I thought, just honestly, I have to tell you, the title is what pulled me in. I thought, The Man from Earth. Okay, that's fascinating. And I just read a really short little blurb they had, and I thought, okay, it's included in my base Netflix subscription, so it doesn't cost anything additional. What have I got to lose? Like 90 minutes? I'll watch it. And I mean, it just like sucked me right in. And, I, 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 and who, who knew? It was just a complete accident, the way that it came about, complete serendipity. And I, I ordered the DVD. And it's a great film. It's just one of those things I found by accident. And it was so cool to then turn our forum members onto it. And a number of them really enjoyed it. I mean, some of them didn't. Uh, there were some people who felt that some of the stuff was taken a little too far. But, you know, hey, uh, anytime you can get a decent movie recommendation. I remember years ago, Gene, just another toll aside, years ago, a friend of mine, Kathy, down in, uh, and she lives in North Carolina, were talking on the phone. And I was going on and on about one of my guitars, this 1970 Les Paul Custom, uh, the Black Beauty, and how this was like, you know, this really, this guy had it laying in a closet for years, and his uh, a, a girlfriend had given it to him back in the early 70s, and he played it a little bit and then stuck it in the case, stuck it in the closet, and his, uh, you know, she went out of his life, and then he had been married to this other woman, and she found it in the closet and said, you know, where'd you get this? Oh, an ex-girlfriend gave it to me. Got to get rid of it. Get it out of here. Uh, and I bought this, this Les Paul from him for a really reasonable price because she wanted to get rid of it. And so I was telling my friend Kathy this story, and she goes, you know, there's a movie I just saw. You have to see this movie based on the story you just told me. I said, really? She's like, yeah, there's this movie called The Red Violin. And I was like, well, okay. And I, she said, just put this on your Netflix queue. Just if you don't like it. I'll owe you a Netflix rental. She's like, but I think you will just fall in love with this movie. And so it was one of these things, a you know, conversation with a friend. I bring up my obsession with with old uh, guitars. She turns me on to this. I watch this movie, and it's become one of my absolute favorite movies about music, along with Amadeus. This movie is... is. Have you ever seen The Red Violin? No, I haven't. I've seen Amadeus, but I haven't seen The Red Violin. Oh, you have to see The Red Violin. It is beautiful spectacular movie really something else and that just was a little bit of funny uh, serendipity along those lines years after that i ended up working on a project uh, a projection project and actually one of the things i had to do 
was uh, uh, take a childhood picture of the composer of the music for that movie and set it to a piece of his music and animate it for a thing I worked on. So I, I didn't get to meet him, but I got to speak to the composer. And I, I actually got to tell him on the phone that, you know, I thought his music was just, you know, spectacular, beautiful. So the movie's The Red Violin. You have to see it. And, and you know, like we were talking about in the first hour, Gene, there is really, we're blessed with our audience, with our forum audience, with our show audience. We have got really great listeners. And uh, I want to do a shout-out right now. This is not something we normally do, but we have a fan in a whole other part of the world by the name of Matt Deacon. And uh, Matt had gotten in touch with me and said, you know, this is actually on Facebook. He gets in touch with me and he says, Hi, I'm a fan of yours from New Zealand. I love the Paracast. I saw you on Facebook. I want to friend you. And I really would love to send you one of my band CDs, but I'm afraid you'll you'll get upset with me if I tell you what the name of the band is. I thought, what the hell is this? It's like, no, dude, that'd be great. What's the name of the band? Well, I don't know. Are you sure you won't get angry? And I was like thinking, what? What? what, what I mean... What could the name of the band be? You know, you know, Biedney sucks. I thought, dude, what's the name of your band? Like, what's the story? He writes me back. Well, the name of my the name of my band is the Bob Lazar story. So I just start to laugh. I thought, what kind of a band name is that? That's hysterical. And, uh, and he said, so I want to send you one of our albums because I think you'll really enjoy it, based on some of the kinds of music you talk about uh, on the show on your. Facebook page, you know, you have a list of your favorite bands. He's like, I, I think you'll like our stuff. I was like, well, absolutely, please. I'd be thrilled to hear your music. So he sends me this, this CD, and it's it's the band is the Bob Lazar story. The name of the the album is The Silence of Pedas de Cuellar, which is a uh, a reference to a ufological thing. And I uh, I slapped this on my uh, on my iTunes. So I you know immediately put it into iTunes. And I start to play it, and uh, I'd like to do something now that we don't, I don't think we've ever done on the Paracast, but let's do it now. Let's play a cut from the album The Silence of Pettis de Coyon. Uh, the band is the Bob Lazar story. Thank you, Matt Deacon, uh, who is the guitar player for the band, and he is a really great guitar player. So let's play um, the first track off the album. It's called Wheat Hat. Here it is.
this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now we have learned that David Bietney is really a closet disc jockey as we do our year beginner, year ender type of show. And he's always wanted to be a disc jockey, introduce recordings. I've actually been doing that quite a bit on my Angry Human show. I always try to have at least two pieces of music, sometimes from musicians people know about, but oftentimes weird little pieces of music that I happen to collect or I happen to know about and, and happen to listen to. I'm a huge music fan. My, my CD collection peaked at around 4,500 CDs, and then I, I sort of had to slow down a little bit. But uh, when I actually first went, I think it was to their MySpace page, and listened to some of their music, I, I told Matt, and thank you, Matt, by the way, for letting us play that, um, you can actually find the Bob Lazar story on the iTunes Music Store, and it's also on CD Baby and, I believe, Amazon. So search it out, The Bob Lazar Story. And again, the uh, name of that album is The Silence of Perez de Cuellar. Perez, P-E-R-E-Z, de, D-E, Cuellar, uh, C-U-E-L-L-A-R. You can get it online, and it's really fantastic. So when I first heard their music, I wrote back to, to Matt, and I said, well, it sounds to me like your music is like the evil Frankenstein child of Rush and Frank Zappa, at which is, for, for people who appreciate either of those two musical entities, you'll just love this whole album. I mean, it's, it's crazy songs. Like, there's a, there's a song on the album called My Hand Looks Like a Brontosaurus. It doesn't? <laughs> it's, it's goofy stuff. It goofy sounds stuff. like it really does. You know, maybe we should really regale our listeners with one more cut from that album. I'd like to do that. My two favorite tracks on the album, and I, and I wrote this to Matt, were Weed Hat, and then the fifth track. It's only, there's only six tracks on the album, but the, the fifth song... <laughs> uh, well, okay. Uh, I don't even know if I can do the title justice, but it's a two-part title. It's called Meat Whores, forward slash, glass-eyed, and frankly, capital F... T period crazy legs. So I'm not frankly Fort Crazy Legs or frankly I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a messed up title, but here's a song. I love the music. Let's play it.
And there we have it, meat whores, glass-eyed, and frankly, something crazy legs. And frankly, uh, my dear, I do give a damn. <laughs> the Bob Lazar story, and, and that's from one of our listeners, Matt Deacon, who's, as you can tell, him and his band are just there. It's, it's, it's obviously all instrument. It's not like there's a lead vocal track. And quite frankly, there doesn't have to be. This is just really great music, and, and it makes me proud that Matt happens to be a fan of the Paracast. I think this is so cool that we can be an inspiration to guys like our buddy Dusty from the forums, who, uh, I'll just say it, hell, he's the guitar player for a band called Medicine Hat in the UK. And what's really fascinating about those guys, and Mark, if I'm saying this and you don't want me to say it, well, cat's out of the bag, sorry. I mean, cat's out of the hat, boom, boom. They're a UK band that does music in the style of southern rock bands, like Molly Hatchet, a 38 Special, or The Outlaws. And they're doing this over in the UK. And Mark is a phenomenally good guitar player. I mean, just kind of guitar player where I hear him, and I just think, damn it. Because I know I'm never going to play that well. Just Isn't makes that me- how the Beatles started, though, by doing their own variation of American rock music? Well, it wasn't American rock music. I mean, basically, uh, you know, all of the original UK invasion came by, you know, those guys were studying Chuck Berry, for crying out loud. Chuck Berry, also the harmonies from the Beatles come out of the Everly Brothers. That's true. Also, they were doing stuff Buddy Holly. So that also tended to be a lot of the southern rock, rockabilly type stylings. I guess so. I don't know if I think of it like in the same way. I mean, you know, Leonard Skinner... (laughs) Is uh, 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 was its own whole genre, I guess. That whole Southern rock thing. Saying, I spent a couple of years growing up in, in Florida, so you know it was uh, down there on the rock radio. You'd hear, you know, like Molly Hatchet ad nauseum, where uh, some of that, or or actually, it's kind of crazy because every now and then, I still driving in my car listening to the radio, I'll hear an Ario Speedwagon song come on. I'm like, come on, are you serious? <laughs> Who knows about those guys? I mean, and sadly enough, I own the uh, original live LP, You Can't Tune a Piano, But You Can Tune a Fish, from Ario Speedwagon. That was a decent album, actually, I have to admit. But um, anyway, this is the Paracast, not the Paramusic special. But you but, never uh, know, we might do things like this in the future, no, if you listeners want. Now, I understand, before we do this, because of the nature of the show... Yeah. We can't play the music unless the composer, author, producer, record company gives us permission. That's correct. And I won't talk about the whole angry human situation and that because I just won't. Uh, <laughs> you but, almost uh, did. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, well, I'm not going to. Back but, to our uh, crazy corner of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those of you who are listening to the show, if you're a musician, if you've got interesting music and you want to you wanna have us consider playing it, uh, please send it to us. I mean, I'm always, always more than happy 
to hear what's going on in there out there in music land because uh, this is like my my real obsession in life is music. My best friends know that. You know, if if left to my own devices, I wouldn't obsess over paranormal stuff. I would obsess over step sequencers and guitar pedals and audio units plugins. And now my latest absolute obsession is a Mac piece of software called Numerology, which oh my god. We're not even going to get into it here. It's the totally wrong venue. But, man, see, and, and this is the thing, Gene. Let me, now let's bring it right back to the paranormal. Okay. One of the things that, that I really strive for in my own life is not to get totally, like, focused on one area of anything. And I, I realize that for a lot of people, they get sucked into the paranormal stuff. And it becomes a, a singular focus for them. One of the ways I keep what little sanity I have left Arguably, little sanity I have left. Notice, to, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying anything in response no, to I that know. statement. Okay, that's why I said arguably. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one of the things that I, I'm a man of hobbies. I have areas of interest that go way outside of this stuff. Specifically, get into you know really creative areas, and and that keeps me happy. That and you know I have a beautiful, wonderful honey in my life, and my sweet Susan. You know she's like this other whole world that, you know, keeps me from, like, losing it in, like, the paranormal stuff. And what's really great about Susan is that she's really smart, and she's also fascinated by these topics. And, uh, you know, uh, she's known as Dr. Sue on a couple of the episodes that we've done. But how lucky am I that I've got, you know, the love of my life who likes going to UFO events more than I do. And when I showed up at Jeremy's culture contacting without her... I think Jeremy thought she didn't want to come along, and what he doesn't, maybe still doesn't realize, is that she was at this educational event in New York City that same weekend, and she was not happy that she was missing the culture of contact. She was very upset about it because she really, you know, she, we, we have a good time at these things. We have a good time no matter what we're doing, but she really likes going to these things with me, and she really enjoys it. So in that sense, I'm also really blessed in that my, my significant other doesn't look at this stuff and go, oh, God, why are you even involved in this? She's extremely supportive of me talking about paranormal stuff, about doing the Paracast. And, uh, you know, that balance, that's what keeps me somewhat grounded. And I think that's really important in discussing this topic. You know, I, I take it seriously most of the time. Sometimes I, I try to approach it with some levity. But also, uh, I have other interests in my life, and I think for anybody who gets involved in this field, and I know that you have years of stories about seeing people who did get too obsessed with this stuff, and you know, in many cases, like that whack job over in the Czech Republic. I mean, people get immersed in this stuff, and just then they just lose their minds. I'm sure you've seen that all the years you've been looking at this field. People go in and out, and suddenly they just completely crack up. And part of the thing is that some of the things they encounter, some of the experiences they have, are so alien to their regular daily experience that just having those things happen to them is sufficient cause for them to go completely off the deep end and go completely insane. And you have to understand, you have to look at any of the experiences that people undergo, especially in terms of abductions, missing time, gain time, whatever. You look at that, and you look at how that relates to your normal concept of reality. Suddenly, everything is thrown apart. Hi, 
Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. What isn't thrown apart is the fact that on our first show of the year, it's not so much a year-ender as kind of a look at the state of the art, such as there is, and where we're going from here. I can make a few predictions, though. Shoot. Okay, here we go. Well, I don't have my revolver with me. And I, of course, live in Arizona where people walk around with guns in holsters. Really? And it's legitimate. It's legal. But I don't do that because I'm from Brooklyn. Okay. My prediction. Number one, there will be no disclosure. I know there are hopes because John Podesta, the former chief of staff of President Clinton and someone who his work with Leslie Kane and James Fox and apparently a sympathetic to UFOs is also working with Obama ain't going to happen. We're not going to see any difference under Obama. There will be no disclosure. Right. I agree. Okay. Not going to happen. There will be no major UFO event during 2009 that causes everybody to accept the reality of UFOs. They're always just that far away from us. They don't come any closer. Uh, Okay. But that said, looking back at 2008, we had... The whole situation in Stevensville was explosive. We've had a huge flap in South America. Uh, Definitely a very significant flap in Argentina. There's been a sick amount of activity in Argentina this year. Really, truly significant. And, you know, some of it, like the video of these little, like, gnome things, obviously silly. But at the same time, looking at uh, Scott Corrales' blog, The Inexplicata, the, the activity in South America has exploded in 2008. Like I said, uh, Scott's coverage of this has been phenomenal. Thank you, Scott. We have to have Scott back on very soon. I was I just really thinking th- of that. We have yeah. to write to him and say, Scott, yeah. you're coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that his coverage and his translation of Spanish reports is a tremendous service to the UFO community. And uh, I'm a little disappointed that... Scott is not in Paul Kimball's Zorgi Awards in consideration for best researcher. I think Scott Corrella's is in many ways probably right now the most important UFO researcher because of the fact that he is the single critical link between the English-speaking world and the uh, and the Latino world of, of this kind of activity. So uh, Paul Kimball... Heads up. Thanks for putting me in for Best Troublemaker. Thanks for putting the Paracast in and our forums in. But I'd like to, to humbly recommend that next year 
you seriously consider getting Scott Corellas up in the uh, nominees for for best researcher? I think he's a he's a shoe in for that position. I really think so. So I think when you look at all of that, you know, you look at uh, there's been a significant amount of UFO uh, activity for better or worse uh, in terms of like you know the UFO hunters show and what Bill has done with that. I know there are a lot of people with a lot of concerns. I count myself as one of the people who has some concerns about some of the episodes I've watched. But that said, UFO Hunters has definitely created another layer of interest in the topic. So from from that point of view, maybe I'll thank Bill. I have a lot of issues with some of the specific episodes and how, I mean, the corona thing with the melted polyethylene, what looks to me like a, you know, I don't know, it could be a an orange juice container, the the conclusions they came to about that. Bill, you know, we'll, we'll spank you for that later. Um, but I think that there's a good chance in 2009 that we might very well see another major episode, especially, Gene, especially, and it's going to sound a little strange, but if tensions continue to increase in the Middle East like they have as we're, as we're recording this show, and uh, uh, you know we see the the powder keg that is now reaching a, a zenith, you know over in in Israel and the Middle East in general. I think if things get really out of control there, that might just precipitate some big UFO sightings. And I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm just it's just coming into my mind. So there you go. I'm channeling it. You're not using <laughs> a cipher like Alan Greenfield does. No, I'm not. Stuff. Okay. No. Okay. Um, now, for those who wonder what we're talking about, Alan Greenfield looks at ciphers, this collection of numbers that's supposed to help you understand paranormal events and maybe even anticipate them in some way. He won't say predicting. Yeah. Okay, because that's too easy to understand. And he did talk about last May, May of 2008, a possible major UFO event in or near Houston, Texas, which he claims actually occurred. Not... <laughs> Sorry, uh, Alan, I like you. Uh, I don't buy your cipher method, and uh, I think you uh, tailored uh, your words to fit that particular situation, and it was a prediction. You kind of try to backpedal on it not being a prediction. It, it was a prediction. When is a prediction not a prediction? I don't know. That sounds oh, like a geez. video game. I can't. Yeah, I don't know. But I just think that there were, there were issues with that, the way that Alan represented it on that disastrous roundtable show. Self-realized illusion. <sighs> Humans seem oh so good at that, don't they? Hmm. We're very, very, very skilled at doing just that. So uh, ultimately, I think it will bring some interesting things along the UFO realm. There will be no disclosure, and it's going to be interesting to see how Stephen Bassett spins that. You know, this idea that the Obama administration is going to somehow release a bunch of information or come clean is uh, its just silly. Well, look at the people who are going to be working for Obama. Everybody in the Obama administration is an experienced Washington hand. Now, of course, their spin on that is saying, well, yes, we said change, but in order to get things done in Washington, you know, you have to have people who know how the things work. And sure. therefore, we have experienced people. OK, that makes perfect sense. It also means that will temper what he does or can do, because he still has to deal with the establishment. So I see no development, despite our feelings of optimism about this. 
that maybe things will change in that way. I think he has too many things on his plate to worry about UFOs unless there's some external event. And even if there is a major flap somewhere in the country, somewhere in the world, and that always happens every few years anyway, I don't think it's going to change anything. I think people are so busy worrying about how they're going to make a buck, how they're going to even get a car loan, because nobody, the banks, of course, will not give anybody any money unless you have a sterling credit record and a million dollars in the bank. But if you're just a normal schlub like the rest of us, you can't get a car loan. You can't get a credit card. They're cutting back on credit lines. You're lucky at least you can buy gas because the price of gas came down. Wasn't that a scam, too, by the way? Cool. It was so obvious here, so obvious, that the price of gas, the price of fuel, the price of oil was artificially inflated, not because of the sheikhs and Arabs and all these people in Saudi Arabia and the Russians and Venezuelans and all that stuff. It was all because the oil speculators moved up the price. They kicked up the price and they got out before things collapsed. Yeah. It collapsed like a house of cards, not because a couple of percent less people are filling their gas tanks. You can't believe that. It was a house of cards waiting to fall, and I just worry about what else is going to fall. Well, I'll tell you what else is going to fall. In the same way that we saw extreme manipulation by speculators of the price of petroleum, I think this year we're going to see a repeat of that with the price of food. This has been building now. I think in 2009, we're going to see that blowout. I think we're going to see the $5 loaves of bread. I think we're going to see the apples for a dollar each, which, by the way, is sort of where we're at now. Do people realize they go to the supermarket and navel oranges are a dollar a piece? That's not an accident. I think we're going to see that increase. We're going to see the price of beef increase significantly. We're going to start to see some, some real tension along the lines of food. And by the way, Gene, that's another thing that has been building globally. In the United States, we're a little, little more insulated from it. But around the world, there have been food riots happening around the planet that, for the most part, are not covered in the American media. But this has been a very serious situation. And I think that 2009, people are going to start to realize that Food is taking a bigger chunk of their budget than ever before, especially if they're interested in being green and eating, for example, organic fruits and vegetables. I think the price of organics is going to go insane. So every dime that you save on gas going to be spent on food? Well, I don't know if it's every dime, but certainly I think it's going to be put in the hurt on a lot of people. On a lot of people. I think in the United States, the, the ever-shrinking middle class is going to shrink more because of that? Absolutely. I, I think this is a huge situation. And, and I notice every time I go to the supermarket, I look at food prices, and they've been steadily going up, up, up. I think that what we're going to also see, that also take a look at this. And again, we're doing some predictions here, not just in the paranormal realm, but look at the stocking of the shelves in your local supermarkets. Shelves are now starting to turn up empty where you never saw this before. You, you would always see really tightly packed shelving in supermarkets full of stuff. Today I was at the supermarket, I noticed this. I noticed entire, over at a shop right in, in, uh, in the town next to where I live, this big shop right, entire rows of shelves just empty. And part of that is from the credit crunch. These stores are losing 
access to credit. They're having credit tightened. So they cannot keep the appropriate amount of stock in the store. I think we're going to see more and more of that as the year wears on. You know, one of the things that I notice, I go to Walmart, okay? Mm -hmm. And Walmart is known for discount prices, really incredible discount prices. And they've been doing well financially despite the economic crisis, despite the recession, everything. But I notice some counters where the shelves are not quite as filled as they used to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised. You know, maybe we should get Tom Hartman back on the show because this is his bailiwick. This is what he covers in his daily talk show. You know what? So, so the, the thing is, of course, that this is not the provenance of the Paracast. We, we don't normally talk about these topics. This episode is a little out of formula. Uh, it's the first episode of the year. Whatever. You know, we're focused on the Bill Nell episode in many ways. And, and I said to you, let's just do a nice, loose kind of a, a discussion that people haven't heard from us in a while. And we're not going to spend a huge amount of time, you know, crapping on other podcasts because people... Uh, have accused us of doing that in the past. I think there's only really one or two shows that we ever really crap on. Most yeah, of the time we probably. don't. Sure. Well, you know, they're, and some of them, you know, really deserve it, obviously. And let's not take it down that route, because I, I said we, we weren't going to do that. We just want to have a little conversation, you know, and invite our listeners in. So we shared some music, some other movies that we found really interesting. I know that people are really looking forward to that next Star Trek film, which... Uh, is I have to tell you, the first Star Trek film that I've looked at, and I thought, man, I really want to see that. I don't usually respond that way to Star Trek movies. Um, well, if he does what some of the other directors have done to reinvigorate other franchises, it'd be very interesting because Star Trek became such a retread of itself. Yeah. With each successive series, they would simply repeat what was in the previous series and try to relate it to their own experience. And it got to a point where it got to be just, it's the same basic you, relationships did you watch that bacula show what was it enterprise or something like the the, the yes the, yes did i never saw an episode of that was it any good it was fair hmm. it was fair it was losing steam they were out of ideas they were trying to show the federation at the beginning when it became the federation hmm. that would even predate the new star trek reimagining Okay, this would be maybe a generation or two before that, when the original Enterprise, the first version, the first iteration of the Enterprise, goes into space, and of course he has a Vulcan science officer who happens to be a female, okay, who falls in love with the ship's engine. It's a, anyway. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. 
going to go on for one more segment of the Paracast where we are talking shop. We're catching up because David and I haven't had a chance to really talk. So we figured, you know what, instead of just talking on the telephone, let's sit back and do a show and catch up. And we shared some music with you, some of David's favorite music, something from one of our listeners. And then we might even do that in the future if you folks like it and if other bands are willing to let us do that sort of thing. We're giving you our fearless predictions about the state of the economy, the state of UFO research, such as it is. And I'm sorry I'm so pessimistic about UFO research. I must really sound like the negative, nasty Nate here because I'm just trying to get all those alliterations correct. Why I continue to sound that way? That's because I've been watching the UFO field for over 40 years, yeah. and I'm waiting for something to happen. We have the UFO <laughs> flaps. We have them in South America. We have them here. We have them there. And everybody covers them, and there's a demand for more information, and it disappears in a few years. We go back to what we were doing. We forget about all that. We well, forget here- that Donald Kehoe wrote a book in 1955 that Stephen Bassett must have read, and it sounds like sometimes he's just replaying it for us, and I'm sure he's sincere. You've had deep conversations with us, but where do we go? How can we progress from here? Well, I'll tell you what I'm really hoping is that uh, James Fox's next documentary gets mainstream exposure, gets some you know, real, true, wide distribution. I think that that could do some wonders, wonders, for moving the discussion forward. I really, I think James is a great guy. I think we made that pretty clear on, on the show. You know, we weren't, I, I, maybe, and sometimes, you know, I realize that sometimes there, some of our listeners might think, well, these, why are these guys fawning over certain people? Um, you know, and then why do they attack other people? Well, well, look at the work that James Fox has done. Look at Out of the Blue, or the first documentary he did, he did that's on, uh, the other disc that's included with the fifth anniversary edition. Uh, this is a guy who's doing really impeccable, unimpeachable stuff. He's approaching this in exactly the right way, and he's he's a cautious in a degree that is exactly appropriate. I really think that he's got an opportunity if some of what he and I talked about offline ends up really playing out. He's got an opportunity to get maybe millions of people to see his next documentary. And I think that everything, Gene, is is trends. Look, one of the things I think people should really realize about getting the mainstream to take any of this seriously, you're not going to have one thing happen that's going to change everybody's minds overnight outside of, you know, the scene from Alien Nation, the ship sitting there with the aliens getting off and asking for the sour milk. Outside of that happening, there's not going to be one really significant, massive, wide-scale episode. At least I don't think so. Uh, but really then what you have to do is you have to try to get people's thinking to trend towards a certain direction. And I really do think that in many ways people are getting a little fed up with the charlatans. I think that people really kind of want to hear a rational voice. And there's another movie I want to recommend for people that plays this out in the political arena that I know a lot of people didn't see, but I happen to own and I happen to really like the um, Warren Beatty film, Bullworth. Did you ever see that? 
Yeah, I thought it was kind of an unheralded film. That it was a lot better than people might have given it credit Absolute, for. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, another, it was a Halle Berry film. Uh, she looked great in that film, and Warren Beatty, I thought, did a fantastic job. I really appreciated the movie and the message that it held, and what it put forward. That people were just getting tired of listening to crap, and I think that after eight years of crap, real crap. I think people are looking for maybe a little bit more of a rational voice. And I actually have high hopes, Gene, that 2009 is the year that the Paracast really breaks through as well. I think that we've been working hard at this for a few years. We have built a really solid, I think, fairly solid, with exceptions, mind you, but a, a fairly solid roster of shows. We've certainly built a reputation which reached the pinnacle with that Bill Nell episode burying that scamster, that thief, that crook. I think that there is a possibility that we could really reach a wider audience in spite of the fact that I sometimes go crazy and uh, 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 freak out at some of the guests. I think people, they, they want passionate media hosts and you know for for years now that's been the realm of people like rush limbaugh and bill o'reilly and sean hannity these vultures on the right that i think just the fact that they would go on the air and speak with conviction and and, and passion even though i personally feel it's completely misplaced in terms of their point of view but i think people responded to that sense of passion, and I hope that we bring that to the realm of discussion in the paranormal, and that this the sort of position we've staked out, this approach of, of our show, will perhaps allow us to go to the next level. And I think that it's ours to lose. If we don't completely lose our heads or try. I have to tell you, though, Sean Hannity uh, drives me nuts. I think the guy is a raving fanatic, and I think he also had this liberal host on his show. You know, it was Hannity yeah. and Combs. And Combs is a liberal New York talker, also part-time comedian. In fact, I once saw him breaking in his act years and years ago. He was a comedian? Are you serious? Yes. We were at one of those comedy clubs in New York City. This is back 20, 30 years ago. And right. he was there breaking in one of his acts. I think they marginalized him so much, especially during the presidential campaign, that he just had to leave. So it's going to be all Hannity and he's going to be stuck on the weekend. You know, but the same thing was true. He was on with O'Reilly and O'Reilly marginalized him, too, and kept talking over him. Yeah. So, you know, but that's O'Reilly's shtick. You see, in the case right. of O'Reilly, that's a shtick. That's a gimmick. That's what he does to make himself popular. I think Rush Limbaugh, whatever passion he portrays, He's an actor. He's playing that role as a showman. Basically, he's doing it just right. for the ratings and the money, not because he necessarily believes it. Maybe he does, but that's not why he's there. No, you know what? You're, you're probably very right about that. But I think what people respond to is even the feigned sense right. of passion. All right? Sure. Where, where I think that, how do I even put this right? I think that our real sense of passion about this will appeal even more to people because it is real. Okay? 
I think that that people are getting tired of listening to the 800-pound gorilla and his constant screwing up of interviews, his constant tendency to lose track of what's going on, to ask the wrong questions at every given moment. I think people are getting a little fed up with that. That's kind of like the joke we used to make of the talk show host, you know, who doesn't know anything and has a sheet of paper that he gets from his staff and yeah. reads it. And he says, okay, so what did you do last week? Well, I killed 12 people. And his response is, do you have any hobbies? <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> well, hey, I got to laugh, ladies and gentlemen. But oh, boom. Yeah, yeah. Stop the presses. <laughs> Stop the presses. But... No, hopefully that we'll be able to then take this show, open up its audience. We love our audience. We have a great devoted audience, and we really appreciate and love them. Uh, we want to have a bigger audience. And not just to s satisfy our, our own egos, just because we, we need to turn the tide of this conversation. We need to expose more charlatans. We need to cut the noise out of the signal. We need to chop away the, the noise and, and just throw it to the side where it belongs. We need to eradicate it. And we're going to make enemies doing this. I realize that, Gene. And uh, what are you going to do? I don't want to be everybody's friend. I've never wanted to be everybody's friend. And, and uh, people don't know about me is that I have a track record of doing this kind of stuff in high technology for years. Anybody who knows anything about the live picture debacle from uh, metacreations slash HSC software uh, and remembers my involvement in helping debunk live picture, you know, something, a, a product that made ridiculous claims that it could never really fulfill based on, on a set of lies that I methodically exposed uh, because of my passion for the imaging world and the, the realm of imaging software and my longtime involvement in it. Uh, this this idea of cutting away uh, noise from signal is something I've been doing for years and gained quite a reputation for in the high-tech world, which is, I think, how you and I originally connected and how I got involved in doing uh, stuff on the Tech Night Owl show. Um, so I think that uh, this is, a, in many ways, a natural role in in this paranormal realm where where, obviously... We know, and let's just, you know, let's close out this episode with some statements and proclamations. We know there's something going on, okay? I think people now realize that this is our attitude, but I think it just needs to be stated here as we go into 2009. We're, we're sort of past the point of asking the question, are UFOs real? Yes, they're real. Do people see uh, ghosts? Yes, they do. Uh, do people have unexplained events that have no correlation to anything we would consider to be normal reality? Yes, they do. These things are happening. We don't have explanations for them. We have a whole boatload of theories. We don't have solid explanations. So I, I think it's comfortable at this point to make the statement that anybody who offers you absolute packaged answers to any of the questions that we tend to ask on the Paracast, um, anybody who offers you something that is a one-stop shop of answers is, by definition, useless. They're, they're making stuff up. They're looking to sell you something. 
they're looking they're looking to pull the wool over your eyes and you can sort of assume that the minute they say oh i can tell you exactly what's going on once they say that now you know that the last thing that they know is exactly what's going on they will ask you to freely and voluntarily give them a donation not necessarily will they ask you for payment unless they ask you for what 800 or a thousand dollars to go on a ufo hunt yeah 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 i never figure that one out but oh wait a minute hold on that's another prediction Greer will produce bubkas with his free energy scam. Nothing. Nothing will come from it. Also, I'd like to point out now that we're in 2009 when people are listening to the show, uh, Dr. Greer went back on what he told us, that he would be releasing a CD of images taken on his little uh, uh, intergalactic picnics. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that never happened. More nonsense and lies from Dr. Greer. So I just I just want to point that out because he assumes that people would simply forget that he said that. So far, I've seen nothing. Now he's on to his, uh, his energy scam. Hopefully, there'll be something that will come out about Greer that will bury this guy. We'll just... Just make him go away. Maybe he wants his $50 billion, and he figures at this age, yeah, yeah. by the time he gets his $50 billion, he'll be so old it won't matter if they catch him. It, no comment. No comment. <laughs> but hopefully this will be the year that Greer really fades away. You know, God knows, that's another guy who has done so much damage to this field that he needs to be eradicated. We but should I also take the exopolitics movement and have it die out of mercy, do a mercy killing on exopolitics. Now, I, I, I'm afraid that's not going anywhere for now. Uh, but I, I predict that in 2009, we will crucify, you and I, on the show, will crucify a key member of the exopolitics movement. Just chop their heads off. So that's yeah. a prediction that I think we can keep. Figuratively, not literally, don't come back and assume that I'm an axe murderer, that I'm really like the character on TV, Dexter, where I find the victims and I find the killers and I take the killers out. Should I rent that on DVD? I think I should, right? You should. It's really a good show. It's That's the same guy, Michael C. Hall, who was playing the gay under, undertaker six in Six Feet Under. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally was... opposite here. He's a macho man here. Cool. I, I love Six Feet Under. I thought that was a fantastic series. I watched the whole thing on DVD. Yes, uh, same here. My friend, my friend Wendell, bless her, she told me, you've got to watch this. And she was like totally addicted to it. And I'm like, well, what about Undertakers? Are you serious? She's like, it's not what you think. Watch this. Trust me. And she was absolutely right. I ended up falling in love with the series. What a great show that it, that was. And it had a real ending, by the way. They actually had one episode where they wrapped everything up. I, I up saw it, and it was, it was beautiful. Great ending sequence. A wonderful, wonderful way to wrap that show. And Which, the talented people, like that girl who plays the daughter, you know, their yeah. sister. Oh, yeah. She's this incredible dancer, singer. And if you look at her credentials, she's got... Broadway experience and everything. Huh. And just occasionally she lets it out. And you see this brilliant talent that lies within her. Very cool. It is a great show. Six Feet Under. And if you don't see it on, was it HBO? Go and rent it like we did. My wife and I rented every single episode through Netflix. We saw it all. So we would recommend so, it. See, see what kind of episode we had. We talked about UFOs. We played a little music. We talked about the thieves and liars in the paranormal field. We talked about our favorite movies and TV shows, at least some of them. And now it's time to go. Thank you for listening, everyone. 
to the power to the to the power 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 to the Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.